number 6, John chapter number 6 this morning. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I appreciate the goodness of God. We've seen a couple young folks saved over the past couple weeks. I rejoice in that. Ain't God good to us? And uh, seeing God help our people. And I tell you, the Lord's just so much better to us than we deserve. But I, but I just want to brag on Him. He is so good in our lives. John chapter number 6 this morning, and I'd like to read just a few verses to you. Let's look together down in verse number 66. John chapter number 6 and verse number 66. The Bible says, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. We believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that You would bless Your Word. Lord, I know there's much about me that uh, You couldn't in righteousness and in justice and holiness bless. But Lord, I know that You can bless Christ in me. Lord, I know You can bless Your Word this morning. I know that You can speak to hearts, that You can take the sword of the Spirit and deftly handle it and, and wield it in our hearts and minds. Lord, and I just pray that we would permit that work to be done, Lord, uh, that we would open our hearts, that we would have a spirit of self-examination this morning, Lord, not looking at our neighbor, not looking at our family, but looking at ourselves and seeking to hear Your Word for our lives and for our situation. And Lord, we know that if we'll have the right spirit, the right attitude, that Lord, here with the Holy Spirit ministering, the Word of God being preached, Lord, and, and with You having a desire and a will to work in our lives, there's no reason we can't hear from heaven. So help us to do our part in hearing and heeding the Word of God. We'll be sure to thank you for what's accomplished, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter number 6 is perhaps uh, one of the greatest and most familiar chapters in the entirety of the Word of God. Uh, it contains for us what most commentators call the bread of life discourse. Christ says, I am the bread of life. And he spends a great deal of time illustrating how that the salvation that he'll provide through Calvary is the very meat, the very bread, the very sustenance of man's eternal life, a spiritual life, their relationship with God. Uh, we could spend a lot of time just examining the impact and import of everything Christ said in this passage and it would not be time ill spent. But this morning I want us to notice something that occurs earlier in the chapter and then something that occurs in our text. And I want to ask a few questions this morning. And I want us to consider something that we find here in the Word of God. If you were to begin, and we won't, but if you were to begin at the beginning of this chapter, you would find that the Lord Jesus performs a miracle. Uh, this miracle is commonly known as the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, he uh, takes the bread and uh, breaks that bread that the little boy delivers unto him. The little lunch, he takes the bread and the fishes and breaks it and distributes to all those that are gathered on that hillside. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, and I think that's appropriate, but the Bible tells us that just the men were 5,000. In other words, it's very likely that there could have been, if you had a man and a wife and children, and uh, large families were the norm in that time, it's not hard to imagine. You could have had 20,000 people on that hillside, and he fed every one of them miraculously with this little bit of bread and this little bit of fishes. Well, when this miracle is performed, the Lord Jesus then gets on a boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the multitude of people that were there present and partook in that miracle, they begin to seek and to search for the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us they take boats and they cross the Sea of Galilee and they come over into Capernaum and they find the Lord Jesus. And that's what prompts this discourse. They uh, had full bellies and they had rejoicing hearts and they had just had dinner on the grounds, amen. And, and they come looking for Jesus, desiring for Him to perform some more miracles and to do some more great works. What I'm interested in this morning is the comparison between two verses. Look back with me earlier in the chapter at verse number 24. Now, this is before the great discourse on the bread of life. The Bible says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum. Now notice this phrase, seeking for Jesus. 
they're so interested in the Lord Jesus that they get on boats and they row across the Sea of Galilee. This, by the way, is the very same sea uh, that was tempest and tossed the night before. was not a small thing uh, for someone to climb in a boat, row across this sea. Yeah, they were imperiling their life. But evidently, they're real interested in following Jesus. Then in our text, as we read down in verse number 66, I want you to notice this phrase in verse 24. We find them seeking for Jesus. But in verse 66, the Bible says, From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. In other words, we find a contrast between the beginning or the middle part of this chapter and the very end of it. We could summarize it in this way. Something must have changed in this passage because in verse 24, they are seeking Him. Down in verse number 66, we find they are straying from Him. We find in verse 24, they are desiring Him, so much so that they would endanger their lives. But in verse 66, we find they are deserting Him. Verse 24, we see they are following Him. Even when He ain't easy to find, even when He ain't easy to follow, they're seeking after Him and they're desiring Him and they're following Him. But down in verse 66, we find them forsaking Him. The question I have this morning is this, what happened in the intervening verses that changed their attitude? We see if we move through this chapter, a downward trend in their attitude towards Jesus. Verse 41 says this, that the Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He saith, I came down from heaven, in these verses, we see them starting to doubt Him and what He said. Prior to this, they're happy to hear what He has to say, but now they're starting to say, you know, I don't know so much about what this fellow Jesus is saying. I've got some questions I'm not sure about here. Verse 52, it gets even worse. The Bible says, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, we don't see them just doubting, but they are outright disputing what's being said. They're looking at each other and saying, you know, I don't buy what he's saying here. I I can't accept what's being presented in what he's teaching. And down in verse 60, we find it gets even worse. It says, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, uh, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Now, I'm going to say more about this when we get into the message. But when they say it's a hard saying, they're not saying we can't understand it. Uh, It literally means this is a harsh saying. They were saying, we don't like what he has to say to us. So they start off doubting and then they're disputing. Now we see them despising what the Lord is saying to them. And finally in verse 66, we see them deserting Him and walking away. When this takes place, the Lord Jesus turns and He looks at the twelve that are gathered there and He asks this question, very simple, very to the point. He looks at them and says, Will ye also go away? To this Peter replies and says, Where, Lord? (laughs) Where would we go? Thou hast the words of life. And we uh, believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And I don't know about you, but when I read this this chapter, I, I just this question kept jumping in my mind when I would read it. Why do some stray and why do some stay? If you've been around a church house any amount of time, I'm talking about more than maybe 30 seconds, you'll find that the church is like a Greyhound bus station. Somebody's always getting on, somebody's always getting off. Somebody's always coming in. Somebody's always going out. And I'll tell you that in 10 years of pastoring, there's been folks that I looked at, and I wouldn't give you names because they're probably here, but there's folks I've looked at, I thought, man, they ain't never going to last. But they've outlasted a lot of them. And then there's others that I've looked at and thought, man, they are solid as the foundation of the world. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be here for the long haul. And today I couldn't find them with with a bloodhound. I couldn't find them if I looked for them. There are some that mysteriously, it seems, some that stick around and some that seem to depart. Why is it? The truth is, there's some of those that have moved and gone on to other phases of life and they're serving the Lord in solid churches in places and living for God. But if we were to be honest, there's some of them ain't doing nothing today. There's some of them just out, just away from the Lord. They ain't been to church in forever. They ain't read the Bible. They ain't, I mean, they're just out. They have strayed away from the Lord. And I can't help but wonder, why does that happen, Brother Ken? Why is it that some stick in, some stay faithful to God, some live for the Lord? I was talking to someone on a, on Monday night at, at, a, at Apollo's course, and they were talking about their little church that they go to, and they said they've got a lady in their church uh, that uh, the church was started in her living room when she was a little girl 80-something years ago, and she's still a member of that church just up the road here. 
thought, man, that's the kind I want to be. I mean, I, I want to be the kind you can't get rid of me if you try. Amen? Uh, some, some people like that, they stay, but then there's other things. Why does that happen? Well, I think when we read this passage, we have a clear comparison between these two groups. There are some that say, Lord, we ain't going nowhere. We're here for good. And there's others, sadly, that turn around, depart from Him, and walk no more with Him. So why is it this morning that some stray and some stay? The bulk of the passage is really focused on those that stray. It really contains for us the relationship and the conversation between the Lord Jesus and this multitude of people that had come across the Sea of Galilee and they had showed up and they wanted to see Him do some more miracles. They wanted Him to impress them. And it's that crowd that turns and walks away. And when we begin to look at their conversation, we begin to understand why some folks stray away from the Lord. And I want you to to notice a few things this morning. I think we find in this some uh, words of warning for our life. Look back with me at verse number 25. This is where we left off uh, when we read that earlier verse. They came to Jesus seeking Him. And the Bible says in verse 25 that when they had found Him uh, on the other side of the sea, they said unto Him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, now He didn't say, here's when I showed up. Here's how He answered them. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek Me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For Him hath God the Father sealed. Here's the first reason people stray. They come over to Jesus and say, Lord, where have you been? And He don't even uh, entertain that. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. And He says, you know, the truth is, you're wondering where I've been, but you ain't even here because you believe in what I'm doing. You're only here so that you can have a full belly. He says, that's the wrong meat to be laboring for. And I, I, I thought about this. You know, some people stray away from the Lord because of carnal appetites. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, some people stray away from the Lord because all they want out of Him is what they can get out of Him. Now listen, I want to be very clear this morning. You you, you uh, get born again and you live for God and you love God and you serve Him and give yourself to Him. God will do more for you than you could ever hope to do for Him. Uh, God will fill your belly. God will fill your heart, your home. God will do things for you that you could have never imagined. But I'll tell you this, if you view God merely as an emotional or temporal or tangible ATM machine that you can get stuff out of, it ain't going to be long. God is going to ask you to live by faith and you're going to be mad about that. You're going to turn around and walk away from it. As long as the table was full, they satisfied to, to follow Him. But the moment that He says, you know, that bread is not what matters. What matters is the spiritual bread, the spiritual life, the spiritual nourishment. They didn't like that message and they turned around and walked away. There's a reason this morning. I, and I'm, I'm preaching the Bible. I ain't preaching against nobody, but I'm preaching the Bible. But sometimes if you preach the Bible, you'll preach against somebody. But there's a reason, listen, that that name it and claim it, health and wealth, prosperity, gospel crowd is such a large crowd. There's all kinds of people, man. They want Jesus to co-sign for them. And that's all they're interested in. They, they want Him to come and, and pay off their debts and, and fix their problems in life. And as long as He's willing to be Santa Claus to them, that's how you say it down here. I don't know if you know that. It ain't, it ain't Santa. It's got a Y in it it's, and an I. It's Santa Claus. As long as He's willing to be that, they're content. But the moment that He calls them to live by faith, to trust Him, the moment that adverse circumstances arrive in their life, they're gone. They're out the door. They're away. I wonder if you'd serve God in the midst of poverty. I wonder if I'd serve God in the midst of calamity. We all have expectations of how we believe God should and will behave and will act. Can I just serve notice on you this morning and on my flesh too? God ain't always going to give you what you think you need. He always will give you what you do need. But He won't always give you what you think you need. I know we like to quote in the Old Testament book of Psalms that if we uh, set our affection upon Him, He'll give us the desire of our hearts. That's what the King James Bible says. I believe that I'm not disputing it. But, you know, there's two ways of looking at that verse. We could say this, I have desires and if I serve God, He will grant me those things. Or we could look at it this way. If I serve God and love God, God will give me the appropriate desires in my life. He'll make me desire the right things. And I think that second is the accurate. God don't always give you the things that you want. I, listen, you could probably give me proof of it. Now, you've probably got a wish list. I remember when I was a kid, they used to send out catalogs for Christmas time. And uh, they don't do that no more. They just uh, send you a link or email you or something. But uh, we get those big old thick catalogs every year at Christmas time. I do what most kids uh, did I'd sit down and I'd start. I'm just trying to help mom and dad. I know how hard it is to buy for people. 
So I'd sit down with a sharpie and I'd start circling things and dog earing things and tearing things out and this and that. And, and I'd find all everything that I wanted. You know, there's still stuff in the magazines I never did get. <laughs> I ain't mad about it. Me and, the, me and the therapist were working through it. But there's still things that I never got in there. And I desired them. And I, and I wanted them. And even my, you listen, my, my little young heart after I knew God and had accepted the Lord, things that I prayed for that I never did get. Did God fail me? I don't believe God failed me. But let me tell you this, God will put the right desires in our heart and mind and life. He will give us a new appetite and He'll make us desire the things that give Him glory. But if your standard for God's love for you is how He is filling your bank account, uh, how is he, he is keeping you healthy, uh, how He is uh, uh, fortifying the relationships in your life, if your standard is God has to bless me in all these temporal ways, I'm sorry you won't follow Him very long. If the Son of Man had no place to lay His head, why would we think that God's going to lay us up in a $3 million mansion? I'm not saying that God don't do it for some folks, but I'm saying He don't love the person He does that for more than He loves the person that He don't do that for. God is perfect in all of His ways. And if your if your appetites are carnal, if your only desire is what you can get out of Him, you will not serve Him very long. Look down in verse 28, we find another one of these. They, they reply to the Lord. Then said they unto Him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, it seems like they're tracking with him. It seems like they're doing the right thing. I mean, he says, you know, you ought to labor not for the meat which perishes in verse 27, but for that meat which endureth into unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. I mean, it, it sounds like they're now replying and saying, all right, Lord, that sounds good. We want to do the works of God. But listen to what happens here. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now that conversation should have stopped there. They should have said, alright, I'm good, Lord. I'll believe on you and I'm content. But that's not what happens. Look at verse number uh, 20, or verse number 30. They said therefore unto him, listen now, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Christ responds to him, verse 31, or they respond, said, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus replies in verse 32, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. This is kind of like that conversation two chapters earlier with the woman at the well. You remember when he's talking to the woman at the well about living water and she says, Lord, give me this water so that I thirst no more. It, it sounds at first, have you ever been talking to someone only to realize halfway through that you and them were talking about two different things? That happens to me a lot. I don't know if that's my fault or their fault, but, I, but it happens to me a lot. It's probably my fault, but here it's not the Lord's fault. Uh, he's talking to them and they said, all right, Lord, show us the mighty works that we can do. And he says, the mighty work is believe on them. And they said, well, okay, Lord, I understand that, but, but what great signs are you going to show us? I mean, you know, God gave manna from heaven to our fathers. What are you going to do? And he says, I ain't going to do nothing but die for you. I'm going to go to the cross of Calvary and die for you to pay for your sins so that you can have that bread of life. And they say, oh, bread. I like bread. <laughs> Give us some of this bread. You know what I find here? Some people get out because of carnal appetites. They desire the wrong things. They want to treat God like a like only a gift giver. Now, He is a gift-given God. He's a promise-keeping God. Uh, but your relationship, if it's based upon that, if you love the gift more than the giver, sooner or later you're going to walk away from Number two, you know what I find? Some people, some people stray away because of sensational ambition. So what do you mean, preacher? If the Christian life does not reach their standard of excitement, they grow bored with it and walk away from it. What was it that these people desired? Number one, I notice they desired mighty works. What are the works that we shall do? Show us the works of God. And it doesn't say, what are the works of God that you're going to do? They say, show us the works of God that we might work them, that we might do them. You know, some folks are only going to be content to serve God when they can do it in the spotlight, in the limelight. Can I tell you this? The majority of the work of God that takes place don't take place in the spotlight. It don't take place in the limelight. I know it's easy to come in on on a Sunday and, and people singing beautiful songs and a choir singing beautiful songs and a preacher gets up and, and preaches a message and all these things taking place. But you know, the work that went into it is a lot more than what you see up here on the platform. 
Sunday school teachers go into their Sunday school classes and begin to teach uh, young people the, the Word of God. And, and it's easy to look at them marching in with that neat little row of, uh, of children like a row of ducks and think, oh boy, isn't that wonderful? That's what I want. But you ain't seeing the hours they spent praying and begging God for their minds and hearts and seeking the Lord's help and studying and trying to find the truth uh, to give them. I'm saying this, it's not always sensational when you're serving God. Sometimes it's just what we would call normal. Normal. If your standard is I'll only serve God when it's exciting, pretty soon, like Moses, you're going to wind up on the backside of the desert uh, watching the backside of a bunch of sheep wander around in the middle of nowhere. And Moses was being trained of God. But he was doing a boring, mundane work in the midst of all that. They desired mighty works. I thought about this. They desired miraculous signs. They said, what sign are you going to show us? Do, do us a trick, almost like Herod says later to the Lord of the crucifixion. Do us a trick. Show us something exciting so that we can see that you're worthy to believe on. You know, some folks only want to serve God and follow God when He is performing miracles, great feats in their life, doing extraordinary, supernatural, miraculous things. Let me tell you, I've seen God do some supernatural things. I've seen Him heal folks that doctors give up on. I've seen that. I've seen God do that. I've seen God save folks that... that uh, everybody had done give up on. I've seen God do it. I've seen God heal marriages that everybody would have said, man, there ain't no hope there. I've seen God do some miraculous things. But you know, the majority of the Christian life is spent in feasting on the Word of God and watching the slow work of the Word of God in people's lives. There will be times that God will do amazing, sensational things. Things that you'll step back and say, what a testimony. Wow, who could look at that and say that God didn't do that? But most of the time, because this thing of the Christian life is a thing of faith, most of the time that's not the reality. There are those moments, praise the Lord for them. But if your standard is, God's got to be impressing me with the great things He's doing. I, 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 listen, I'm not trying to be ugly, but it ain't God's job to impress us. It's not. It's not His job to wow us and to woo us. That's not, not His criteria. That's not in His job description. That's not what He's trying to do in this world. There are times you'll be amazed at God. Uh, but there'll be times that there'll just be mundanity. So they desired miraculous signs. Look at verse 34. I thought about this. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And I thought about this. They desired mighty works and miraculous signs. Then, you know what they desired? They desired manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. Now, what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about that bread that fell in the Old Testament uh, for the children of Israel to feast upon. And the children of Israel didn't have to do anything for it. They would get up every day and they would go out and they would gather a, a portion for each individual. They would gather of that manna. And, and even if they had been tempted to build barns and storehouses and store it up and lay it up, God had designed it to where that bread would rot every single night. So even if they tried to pick it up, it wouldn't last more than a day. It's what the Lord's talking about in, in the, uh, the, the uh, Lord's Prayer when He teaches the disciples to pray. And He says, give us this day our daily bread. He's talking about like that manna in the Old Testament. God made them come every day to get fresh bread from the picture of our relationship with Him. And what they're saying is, Lord, we want you to do something like that. We want you to just drop manna from heaven. You know, some folks, and this gets a little bit into the first point of what I was talking about, some folks are only satisfied to follow God when He is miraculously providing for them apart from any engagement of themselves. Can I tell you, when the only way to feed you is manna from heaven, He can do it. When the only way to feed you is, 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 a, is a windstorm or quail to come in and fall at your feet, He can do it. Uh, when the only way for him to feed you is send ravens, drop meat to you like he did Elijah in the Old Testament, he can do it. When the only way to feed you is to make the, the barrel of oil and, or the, the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil not to fail, he can do that. But you know, most of the time, you know how God takes care of us. Most of the time he asks us to do what we're able to do and then he blesses it and he honors it. He asks us to do what we're able to do and he does what we're unable to do. Some people's criteria is I, I just want to sit back and wait on God drop something in my lap. You may not be satisfied with what He does drop in your life. I'm just telling you, some folks, they've got sensational. They only want to serve God when it's exciting. But the truth is, a great deal of your Christian life is going to be spent in dedication, commitment, and consistency when things are not easy, when they are not exciting. But that's the, that's the substance of it. Hey, listen, can I make an illustration here? I don't want... I, I, I might get in a mess doing that. I don't know. I don't want my marriage to be exciting. It's all good and well to say, I want an exciting marriage. But usually exciting marriages mean like dishes and plates getting thrown across the front room, right? Exciting can be overrated. Really what I want out of my marriage with my wife, 
I want a day-to-day consistent relationship. Like no hidden surprises, no dishes getting hurled at me, none of me throwing dishes at her. I just want to grow in the depth and measure of our love with each other day by day. You know, there's a similarity in our walk with God. You may say, preacher, I I want excitement. I want miracles. Well, He may have to get you half dead to give you a miracle. He may have to bust your marriage all to pieces so that He can put it back together and give you a miracle. I'm just saying this. Sometimes we're not grateful for the mundanity, the consistency of the Lord's work in our life. I'm not saying those exciting times are not there for a reason. I'm not saying that those extraordinary times are not there for a reason. But I'm just saying you might get to a place where you pray for for a little boredom from God and beg Him for some consistency. We all learn to rejoice in that consistent daily walk. So some folks, they want sensational Uh, They have sensational ambitions. Look a little further down at verse 35 with me. The Bible says in verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. and He that believeth on me shall never thirst. That's one of the greatest verses in your whole Bible. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the Father's will which uh, which hath sent me that all of all which He hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. Now, we're going to read a little further here in a moment but can I just say that is mind-blowing truth? I mean, I, setting aside the fact that we've been inundated with this truth for 2,000 years, And to them, this is all fresh and new. They've never heard this before. (laughs) This idea that that man in the Old Testament was just a shadow of God giving His Son to die on the cross of Calvary and provide for man's deepest need, that of salvation and a relationship with God. But even setting that aside, even in all our familiarity, I mean, I I just, I read it, man, and my heart soars. I mean, I'm just, I'm helped, Brother Ken, when I read that and I think about Him being the, the bread of life. What an amazing thing that is. I don't know about you, this would be the time if you were standing there at Jesus, this would have been the time you'd take a lap. You thought, man, glory to God. What do they do? Verse 41, the Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He saith, I came down from heaven? I'd say this, some folks, they stray because of carnal appetites or sensational ambitions. Some people stray because of familiar attitudes. You know what caused them to turn and walk away? They said, oh, we already know who this Jesus is. And they turned around and walked off. Can I? You've heard this before, right? Familiarity does what? It breeds contempt. I think it's good that we be intimate with God, but it's dangerous when we grow familiar with Him. In other words, we, we ought to have a close relationship with God. But we ought to guard that that relationship with God never beget in us an apathy and familiarity that causes us to not appreciate the wonder and glory of who He is. You know why some people walk away? I know this is hard to believe now, but it could be me. It could be you. I mean, those people that have walked off from God, we ain't no better than them. It could be us. And you say, preacher, how does that happen? Can you imagine this? But it's the truth. Some people get bored with Jesus. Now, you know why that happens, right? Because they begin to make assumptions about who He is and what He says instead of listening to who He is and what He says. When we read this, notice the spirit of familiarity. They murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now you'd think when He says this, man, they'd be ready to do a backflip. But here's the reality. They completely missed the glorious truth that Christ spoke to them because of their familiarity with Him. You know what we're bad to do? I've been, I've asked God on multiple occasions to help me with this because I think it's a real problem in our society. We've quit listening to each other. Most of the time when two people are talking, they're not listening to what the other person's saying. Most people are working on their response while the other person's talking. If this is a problem in your heart and life, you ought to pray and ask God to fix it because it hampers our ability to communicate. When we talk, instead of really listening to what's being said, we're already coming up with our rebuttal, how that we can answer back, how that we can argue. And even if it's not an argument, we're already thinking about our contribution to the conversation. You know what happens? You have a conversation with yourself because you never hear what they had to say. You know why we do that? Because we take for granted that we know what they're about to say. 
We say, well, I've heard it all before. I know what they're about to say. I, I know we like to say, well, people can finish each other's sentences. Uh, you may be saying that about them, but they may not be saying that about you. <laughs> you may be saying, oh, I love it. I can finish their sentence. And they may be saying, yeah, I wish you'd quit because you don't, you don't hear anything I'm saying to you. We take for granted what they're about to say. That's what they do to Jesus. He starts talking about manna and they tune him out and say, well, we've heard all that before. And they start thinking about this and saying, now, how could he be the bread of heaven? I mean, if they just stopped and listened to him, they would have learned. But instead, their familiarity bred in them a spirit of rejection of his words. We see their spirit of familiarity. Then we see the skepticism of it. Because of that, they said, how is it that he can be the bread of life? You know what happens when you grow familiar with Jesus? You eventually quit listening to him. You eventually quit listening to him. You know the problem is when you sit down and I, and I try to make an active, uh, an active job of not doing this, but, but you know, sometimes you sit down and, and preacher will say, turn to John chapter 14, you'll say, well, I've heard this. Preacher says, turn to Psalms 23, you'll say, I've heard this. Preacher turns, John chapter number 6, I've already heard this. You don't know what you have and haven't heard yet. Uh, it's the Holy Ghost taking the truth of God and applying it to your heart. That's the miracle that takes place when the Word of God is preached. And I'm just saying this, if you do that, if you turn Him off, you won't hear anything God has to say. Because you already know. We fuss at our kids about this, don't we? We fuss at our young people. How many of y'all have had, uh, I mean, except for the grace of God, you would have beat your child to death because they said, I know, I know. I mean, of all the buttons you can push on a parent, that's the big red flashing one. Now listen, son, you be careful. I know, Dad. Honey, listen, you better be careful. Mom, I know. And you know why it frustrates you? Because you know the moment they say that, they haven't heard anything that you've said. And the Lord says, hey, Toby, and I say, I know. The Lord says, hey, 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 church member. And we say, I know. I know, Lord. I know. And we shut down and we don't hear anything that He says. Pretty soon we no longer derive any satisfaction out of our relationship with God because we haven't even really got a relationship with God. We've done shut Him down and quit listening to Him. And eventually, you know what happens? We say, I don't even know why I'm hanging around Him anymore. And we turn around and walk off. Familiarity breeds contempt. I would say because of familiar attitudes. Let's read another one here. Look down at verse 43. I'm going to hurry this morning because uh, you ain't preaching me real good. If you preach me bad, well, no, I shouldn't say that. You won't ever preach me good. Look at verse 43. The Bible says, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amazing truth. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, what happened there is they look at Jesus and they say, how's he the bread of life? And Jesus very patiently and very graciously explains in great detail what he means. He says to them, I'm not talking about physical bread. I'm talking about spiritual bread. I'm not talking about consuming my flesh cannibalism. I'm saying you have to partake in my death. I'm going to die for you on the cross of Calvary. And you have to believe that that death was for you. You have to partake in that death in that way. It is by faith that you, and he very patiently explains all these things. How do they reply? Verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, I'm going to go ahead and just be hateful to them. All right. So they ain't here this morning. I'll apologize when I get to heaven. That was a dumb response. He just explained what he meant to them. He just said, I'm saying you got to believe on me and everything. But here's the problem. They could not break out of their temporal mind frame. You know why some people turn around straight from the Lord? Because of temporal association. Now, I'm not talking about relationships. I'm talking about the way they view Christianity. Uh, Christianity, listen, is not just a social exercise to give you peace in this current life. 
Christianity is not just a, it is not just, it is not the pacifier that is granted to weary souls to pacify them throughout this life so they can get some little scrap of happiness. If that's your concept of Christianity, sooner or later you'll wake up and have a pretty good day, feel like you don't need God, and you'll turn around and walk away from it. Their problem is they viewed this all in, in earthly, temporal, physical terms. And we can tell that by what they said. Notice number one, they had a temporal view of the Lord. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You mean this man that just got through breaking five breads and, and two fishes and feeding 5,000 people? How could he do it? I don't think he'd have a problem doing it at all, do you? You mean this man that by the time we get to this passage, Peter and, and the other disciples, they're convinced that he is that Christ and he's the son of the living God. He would have no problem doing that. You know why they had trouble listening to it? Because they just merely viewed him as another master, as another teacher, as another philosophical guru to come and unveil to them truths to make them happy and give them contentment in life. They viewed him as just another man. And as long as you view Jesus as just another man. Now, everybody in this room is going to say, oh no, preacher, I view Jesus as the Son of God. Do you revere him as the Son of God? I know you, you believe, you academically assent to that truth that He is the Son of God, but do you treat Him like the Son of God? Do you revere Him like the Son of God? Or do you just revere Him as your chosen checkbox on the census if it asks you what religion you are? Some people, that's all they view Christianity as. This is just something to help me when I'm having hard days. Well, sooner or later, you're going to have a day that's not so hard. You're going to turn around and walk away from it. It's got to be more to you than merely that. I see their view of the Lord, and then I see their view of life, eternal life in particular. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know why? I mean, man, it's almost like talking to a bunch of Baptists. You know why they keep going back to this? Because their belly's starting to rumble. They're starting to get hungry. Listen, I, I already, I build it into the sermon that you ain't even going to hear the last ten minutes. You're just going to be thinking, shoney, 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 shoney. And that's what's happening to them. I mean, they're they're hungry... And their God is their belly, and all they can think of is how they can be satisfied. It tells me that their perspective on life was merely how they can consume things. If your perspective on Christianity is, I believe on the Lord so He gives me lots of great stuff, fabulous cash and prizes, gives me all the things that I want in life so that I can have a happy life here, I'm sorry, you are going to be mystified at who God really is. Because the reality is very often the life of a Christian is inundated with suffering, uh, with deprivation, with, with tragedy and calamity, all kinds of things that Creflo Dollar can't explain to you, but the Bible does. I'm just telling you this morning, they were temporal in their mind frame and all they saw was Christianity as, as just sort of, this is what the world means when they say religion is a crutch, right? That's what they mean when they say that. Can I say this? The sad truth is to a lot of Christians, that is all it is. Now, listen, I, I understand that the whole answer. You know, I've said it before preaching. You know, people say, uh, you know, Christianity's a crutch. And I say, no, bless God, it's a whole stretcher. And, and I understand what we mean when we say that, that it's by grace and we are leaning on the Lord and He is helping us. But I'm saying, if your whole perspective of what Bible Christianity is, is just God helping you down the road a little bit, sooner or later you're going to be feeling froggy and you're going to say, I don't need God anymore. I've seen people do it. I've seen them walk away. And chances are you've seen people, and that may not have been the reason they gave, but that was the reason it happened. They got they got going a pretty good clip in life, and they felt like they didn't need God anymore, and they turned around and walked away. Let's do one more, all right? One more this morning. I would say because of temporal associations, but now look down at verse <laughs> look down at verse fifty three. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Strong truth. He's saying, this is what I'm talking about. You're going to believe on me. And by believing on me, you'll partake in my life. That the way that I live by God the Father, you're going to live by me. That the relationship I have with the Father, you're going to have with me, and then you'll have with the Father. We will all be one in one. Look what it says in verse 59. The Holy Ghost goes out of His way to tell us this. These things said He in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of His disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is an hard saying, 
who can hear it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, there's nothing harsh about that to me. I mean, Christ is saying, I'm going to give my life for you and, and I'm sacrificing myself for you and all you have to do is believe on me. That doesn't seem like a harsh saying, like an offensive saying, but we know it is offensive. He goes on, the Lord does after this and says, does this offend you? Now, He knew their hearts. They were offended by what He said. They weren't mystified by it. They understood perfectly what He was saying, but they got mad at it. Now, why would they do that? I jotted it down this way. Some people, they stray because of casual allegiances. What He said was hard for them. You know what Christ was doing? He was calling them to separate from the table at the temple worship and to partake in His life by faith. He was calling them to leave behind all they had known and trusted Him and to follow Him. You know what the Bible says about God giving that manna from heaven in the book of Psalms? The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God furnished a table in the wilderness for the children of Israel. And it, it, it likens it to the worship, the partaking in the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple of the showbread. When they ate the showbread, Brother Charlie, that was a picture of that manna. In fact, in that Ark of the Covenant, it ain't, it ain't sitting on a movie set in Hollywood. Amen. In that Ark of the Covenant, they had a pot of that manna. And it was a picture of Israel's relationship with God. That manna was. And it is associated with the worship of the temple. Now Christ is coming and He's saying, your fathers ate of that manna and they're dead. They've worshipped at the temple for generations, but it hasn't saved them. But now here I come and I'm the bread of God given down from heaven. You eat of me and you'll live forever. He is saying, you're going to have to walk away from that and believe on me. It was a hard saying. You know why some people walk away from God? Because they think He asks too much. They do. I know, we're all embarrassed to even say that's true about somebody else because we know it's probably true about us. But we really think that God asks a lot. I mean, God, you want me to give you my, my tithe? And then, and then offerings on top of that? Lord, you want me to go to church three times a week? God, you, you want me to, you want me to go up to total strangers and, and talk to them about their soul? Lord, you want me to serve you? You want me to do those things? God, that's a little too much. Here's our problem. We've done started to judge the Lord by the standard of the Moose Lodge. And if God asks more of us than the Moose Lodge does, we've decided God's asked a little too much. Can I tell you something? God's done more for you than the Moose Lodge has. And I, I'm just, I'm telling you this morning, sometimes people walk away because they start to get to thinking that God's asking too much of them. They said, this is a hard saying. They said, we can't do that. What do you mean we need to walk away from everything we knew? Well, what did you think Christianity was, friend? Did you think it was hanging on to that old life and that old way of living and that old world and, and, and God blessing that and honoring that? I mean, I don't know what somebody may have told you, but this whole thing of Christianity was always lay down your nets and take up your cross. It was always walk away from that, from depending on anything and everything else. They, they said this, this was a hard saying for them. But then I noticed this. I told you this a moment ago. The Holy Ghost goes out of His way to say in verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Sometimes it helps you when you read your Bible to ask, why did the Lord put that in there? Did he have to tell us? In fact, I'd say this. In all that I've read, John chapter 6, it may be different for some. Charlie, it may be different for you or Ken. I've, but I've never pictured it in the synagogue. I don't know about you. I, I, when it, in my mind's eye, when it's happening, I see him by the seashore. You know, boats tied up in the background and and everything, and people standing around with an empty plate in their hand. That's how I've always viewed it. I never thought it was in the... But the Holy Ghost reminds us this was in the synagogue. Now, what was the synagogue? It was a place where religious teaching takes place. Now, wait a minute. Let's read this a little more. Let's go back. Let's think about what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 53, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. And we know these men had not done that because they just got through saying uh, back in, in verse number 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know what was happening? He was looking around at that religious crowd and he was saying, you're dead. For all your religion, you're dead. You know all the rites and the ceremonies and you go to the feast days and you eat at the table in the tabernacle. You go and partake in those sacrifices, but you're dead inside. And unless you believe on me, you're going to stay dead. You say, preacher, why'd they get so mad? For the same reason people still get mad today. Same reason the preaching of the cross is an offense unto them which perish today. 
Because to say that Jesus died for sinners and that He died for them is to say they are sinners and in need of Christ's salvation. That's why the cross separates. That's why the cross is an offense. Is because people people want uh, they want a savior without being a sinner. They don't want to admit they're a sinner, but they, now they want a savior. Now that don't make no sense. You don't call a plumber if if you've got an outhouse. You only call a plumber if you've got plumbing in the house. You only call a savior if you're a sinner and need to be saved. You know, some people they're they're not willing to humble themselves and admit just how badly they need God. And because of that, when the time comes that God calls on them to lean upon Him, to look to Him, they say, Man, this is a hard saying. You know, you know part of the reason they said this was a hard saying? Because they had never known Him in salvation. I find this the more present in my mind God's salvation of my life is, the harder it is for me to say that anything God asks of me is too much. How could we say that what He asks is too much when all we've got He gave to us in the first place? But now, if we've never known Him in that way, I could see how a man could look and say, that's just too much for God to ask. That's Listen, that's just too much for God to ask. That's not what the world asks. No, the world asks for less, but will take more. You say, even the devil don't ask that much. No, he don't ask for nothing. He's a thief. And he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. God's the only one that will be honest with you about what He expects out of you. And we look at it and we say, well, you know, I just don't know that I'm willing to go that far. There's some people will go with Jesus, but only so far. Gets to a point and they say, I'm not willing to go that far. Let me tell you how good and gracious the Lord is. He very often will stand at a distance, just like He did with Peter when Peter followed afar off and looked backwards and cast his eye upon that backslidden disciple and beckon and call him to a relationship with him. And some people think that's a healthy relationship with God. Some people think the Lord chasing after them. It's all right. We might as well preach. We're here. Some people think a healthy relationship is God having to hunt them down week after week after week. I'm talking about spiritually in their life. I mean, I, now listen, we all sin. We all, I mean, God convicts me every day of my life and, and, I, and I deserve to be convicted. But I'm saying this, God shouldn't constantly be having to chase us. But you know why? You know what happens? Me and God, we're walking along and then we reach a threshold and God says, all right, Toby, this is the next step. And I look and say, Lord, that's a big step. I'll just wait here. You come back and get me when you're done. Think about all we miss out on that God does while we're stuck here saying this is a hard saying. I can't go that far with God. Why do some stray? Well, there's a lot of reasons and we've seen it in our text. But can I notice this? I ain't even going to preach it. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. I'm not going to preach it. But can I ask that second question? So some stray. Why do they stray? Well, carnal appetites, sensational ambitions, temporal associations, casual allegiances, things like that. But what about these others? Christ looks at the disciples, looks at the twelve and says, will ye also go away? And Peter, oh Peter, man. Peter, sometimes he'd say the dumbest things and then sometimes the Holy Ghost get a hold of his tongue and he'd just say things. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You know, that's the kind of answer a fisherman would give, wouldn't it? Even when you ain't catching no fish, you ain't going to go up on land because where are you going to go? The fish are only in the ocean. They're only in the sea. And he kind of says it like, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. What's the secret to faithfulness? What's the key? Well, I think there's three things here. First, they completely forsook the world. Now, somebody's going to say, oh, but preacher had, uh, Peter had his lapses in faith. Yeah, I know. You and me and both and him and everything. We can all get, get, get together in glory and rejoice in the grace of God. But the truth is, when they had left their nets low those, those, those two, three years ago, they left an old way of living behind. And they walked on and they had forsook that. And that's evident by what Peter says. To whom shall we go? Well, there's a lot of places you can go. Some folks go to the go to the arms of addiction. Some people go to the beds of illicit relationships. Some people go to cold, dead, formal religion that doesn't challenge or change them. There's a lot of places you can go. But Peter, he just takes for granted that there's nowhere else to go. You know why? That bridge had already done been burnt. He had made his mind up when he put those nets down on the Sea of Galilee that life was over. Some of us, we need to start burning some bridges. Now hold on now, I don't want church split. I don't mean bridges with other people. But I mean we need to start burning that bridge with the world. We need to get it in our head. The Lord saved us, changed us, 
And that way of living's done. And you say, but preacher, I don't know if I can keep all my promises. No, I understand that. I understand you're going to make mistakes and I'm going to make mistakes. But we need to get it in our head that though we may make mistakes, we ain't never going back to what we were. Egypt's behind us. It's done. It's over with. They completely forsook the world. People that stay faithful to God, uh, they don't view it like they have any other options. They're, God's not going to unsave them, so they might as well learn to get along with Him and serve Him and live for Him. They completely forsook the world. Number two, they consistently feasted on the Word. He says, Thou hast the words of eternal life. I know you want a flashier answer than this, but if I'm to give you the true answer, you know what keeps people faithful? Reading their Bible. It does. I've never met a man or woman that consistently read their Bible that got out. Usually the people, in fact, that get out, it starts, they get out of their Bible before they ever get out of the body. They stayed in the Word. Peter said, Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? you got what we need. How did he know that? He'd been listening. <laughs> he had been listening. <laughs> All them other folks standing around hadn't been hearing anything Jesus said. Peter's sitting back there taking notes saying, man, this is good. Ain't they getting help from this? He consistently feasted on the Word. And then I thought about this, this last one. Now, I'm done. Look what it says. Verse 69, he says, And we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Why do some stay when others stray? Well, because they completely forsake the world. They shut that door behind them. They're not perfect. They still make mistakes. But they've done made up their mind they're not going back. They consistently feast on the Word. They stay in their Bible. Even when it ain't easy. Even when it ain't exciting. Even when they have questions. They just go ahead and keep reading. Because those are the words of eternal life. And then I thought about this. They continually felt the wonder of it all. Peter says, where will we go? The world ain't got nothing for us. And you've got the words of eternal life, Lord. You've got everything we need. But you know, even if that wasn't true, how could we walk away from you? We are, we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. It's almost like he says it in wonder and in awe at who Christ is. Preacher, what kind of people stay? People that get in love with Jesus and stay in love with Him. People that get in love with Jesus and stay in love with Him. People that make sure they keep tender enough to the Lord that they never lose the wonder of what He did in their lives, of who He is, of what He's done for them. Those type people, they don't get out. Those people that stay close because they're reminded that they're just weak, weak, uh, weak, lost, uh, wicked, vile individuals apart from the grace of God. And they recognize that only in Christ are they anything. Those individuals, they're the ones that stay. I don't know about you, man. I want to be one of them that stays. I want to be one of them that as long as God gives me and draws a breath, I want, I want to stay. I know I'm going to make mistakes just like we all are. But by the grace of God, man, I want to stay and I want to keep living for Him. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. and You don't have to wait for the first note to be played. If God spoke to your heart, you can come right now. Can I ask you a question? Have you allowed some straying in your heart? You know, very often, long before a person ever walks out those double doors, they've walked out in their heart. Before they ever step away, they've already stepped back from God. It could be this morning. I mean, you're here this morning. You're here. You're, you're, you're a part of this service and, and, and these, this body of believers this morning. But I, I wonder if maybe that you've let a little distance grow in your heart. Taking that first step. If that's true, you know the Lord, it'd be best if you just stopped, turned around and got back close to Him right now. Don't let that straying continue. Get close to Him. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I believe I'm living for God. I believe I'm walking with Him. I believe I'm close to Him. But I want to commit my heart and mind to stay, to stay close to Him, to walk with Him, to live for Him. Whatever it is that God spoke to you about, as Melissa plays, why don't you come this morning? Why don't you do business with God? If He spoke to your heart, find a place down here. Come and seek Him. These are praying we have all the time we need. Why don't you come and speak to the Lord?